in the private place of our devotions, and yet there's this theme throughout the teachings of Jesus that says, no, the, the way you measure your love for God is the way you're measuring, is the way you're loving your brother, your sister, your neighbor, and your enemy. John will go on in his epistles to actually say someone who says they love God but hates his um, brother is a liar because you cannot love God whom you haven't seen if you cannot love your brother whom you can see. Jesus has this fantastic uh, story in Matthew chapter 25 at the end of it where he tells this parable of the sheep and the goats and, and, and the refrain for each of those groups in terms of understanding um, their understanding of when they encountered Christ, Jesus simply said, you know, when you, f when, when, you, when you fed the hungry, when you gave the thirsty a drink, when you clothed the naked, when you visited the sick, and when you visited those in prison, you weren't just visiting those, them, you were actually visiting me. What you've done to the least of my brothers and sisters, this is what you've done for me. In my own journey, there have been various seasons that I've gone through and various different kinds of spiritualities that I've explored and various expressions of the Christian faith that I've explored. And there was a time when I could not read enough of Mother Teresa. Even though I was a evangelical Pentecostal Protestant, I learned a lot from this Catholic nun. And one of the things that, I, that has always stuck with me is, is this refrain in her writings, when she, because as we all know, she gave her life to the poorest of the poor. And uh, she simply said, I'm simply tending to Christ in his distressing disguise. And uh, that, that, is really, that has really stuck with me. And so there's this very powerful theme. And, and if, you'll, if you'll look closely, if you go back into the prophets, you'll see that Jesus is actually right in line with the uh, heritage of the prophets. Because the prophets also talk a lot about our tendency to want to ritualize our spirituality and, and, and kind of adapt ourselves to, okay, this is the way I honor God, and then we experience this disconnect when it comes to how we treat other people. And, and the prophets are very strongly opposed to living this kind of lifestyle. And Jesus himself continues in this vein to where he really wants us to see that, that we don't just love God this way. In fact, we primary ex primarily express our love for God this way. Now, I don't really like that because I can do a lot better just focusing here. I feel a lot better about myself. I feel more spiritual, done my devotions, had meaningful times of worship. And in fact, I really think that I could live in continuous union with God if it weren't for the darn people in my life that keep interrupting me. They're the ones that keep me from being spiritual. Because this is easy, this becomes more complex. And ironically, I need him more when I engage this way than even I do when I engage this way. And so, so we are about to start a new journey here at Christ Community Church. We've prayed, we've worked together, we are looking forward to launching our new community group program, which all of those groups are online as of this morning. And before we're done here, I'll tell you how you can go on and uh, sign up for a group if that's what you choose to do, if that's where you are. But groups aren't the only way that we can ex express love for one another. They're not the only way that we can walk in community, but they are a helpful way. Uh, 
The next eight weeks after today, we will be doing a prayer series called Simply How to Pray. I know it's not that impressive as a, of a title, but it speaks to the heart of what we want to do is we don't want to just the next eight weeks be theoretical. We want to be very pragmatic and really engage the, the scriptural topic of prayer in such a way that we can actually arrange the rhythm of our life according to the revelation that we're getting out of the scripture as we study prayer. So this morning, before we launch into that, I want to talk about community, just to coincide with the launch of our new communities and the, and the uploading on our side of the new community groups you can be a part of. I want to talk a little bit about why that's so important, and really, it comes down to this. It comes down to the ethic of Jesus, and the idea this morning is that we bear witness to our faith by loving one another. Now, I am not saying that's the only way we bear witness to our faith, but this is the way that Jesus himself proactively endorsed. And I've been part of groups that say we bear witness to our faith because of the purity of our doctrine. I've been part of groups that says, no, we witness to our faith by our involvement in missions or social justice. I've been, I've been um, part of groups that said, no, we bear witness to our faith by living a life of spirituality that we see God's miraculous power on a consistent basis and, and then other people are drawn to that. Now, I, I don't think that any of those things are false. I think all of those are ways we express our faith. But what I want to get down to is the simplicity of, of, of what it looks like to really follow Jesus. And Jesus's model for how we evangelize the world is by learning how to love one another. We bear witness to our faith by loving one another. John, he says this very clearly, John 13, 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. By this, everyone will know that you belong to me if you love one another. That word if, should, we should pay a lot of, attention to because it means that's our invitation to make a choice either my choice will be to live a lifestyle of learning how to love others or it will be a lifestyle of self-protection where i love mostly myself and those that belong exactly to me um, I, I love the straightforward way the new living translation uh, articulates it your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And what's great about that is it, it invites all of us. It doesn't matter what our doctrinal distinctives might be. It doesn't matter what our maturity levels might be because we're gonna be at different places on the spectrum of maturity. It doesn't even matter how much our growth in, for lack of a better term, holiness might be. In other words, I might be having a testimony where I've been freed from a significant sin in my life, or I might still be in the throes of the battle, some days succeeding and some days failing. But that doesn't hinder my ability to have a loving posture toward others. And so, so we're all on a level playing field here on what Jesus would highlight as one of the most significant parts, uh, or significant um, expressions of faithfulness to him, which is our love for one another. And if we have love for one another, we will prove to the world that we are his disciples. Now, what I like to do sometimes when I'm reading scripture is to take first, uh, take first stock of what it's saying. And so what it's saying is your love for one another 
will prove to the world that you're my disciples. But every statement that's made overtly is saying the opposite statement covertly. So if you come up to me afterwards and say, Artie, I want to go eat a Reuben. Then I will say, I would just, that was on my mind because someone just made a Reuben appointment with me this morning. I was so excited. Um, if I say yes, then I don't have to say no because it's implied, right? Saying yes means I'm not going to say no. Or if I say no, it means if I say no, I can't make it this afternoon. That also means that I'm saying yes to some other appointment or engagement. So when the scripture says your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples, it's also saying something else covertly. It's saying if you don't have love for one another, it's going to really make it hard for you to convince the world that you follow me. It's that vital. It's not just an option. Either we bear witness through our love for one another or we choose non-love and it hinders our ability to bear witness to Christ. So it's essential that we learn this idea of what it means to love one another as an expression of our faith. The greatest Christian practice is to love one another. That is why living in community is essential for the practice of our faith. And again, I don't want to be misunderstood. I am not suggesting you can only live in community if you're in a community group. I think that if you can't be part of a community group, you should be asking the Lord how he's calling you to engage and do life with other believers so that you can be expressing practical love to your brothers and sisters. But being in a community group actually helps create a rhythm and a routine in your life where you've got a circle of people that you can practice your Jesus loving on. And so, and so community is absolutely essential. So, and, but in, the problem is in general, this is not just in the church world, but outside of the church world. And I think whether we like it or not, sometimes the, 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 the dominant values of our culture can kind of creep in and dictate the way we even live the values of our faith. But in general, human tribes have moved away from communal life as we have become more withdrawn and individualistic in our approach to living. We could really nerd out and go into the history of this and really talk about what the Industrial Revolution did to communities, which is a fascinating thing to study and think through. Um, but the truth is, history of humanity has moved from tribal communities to more individual expressions of living. And, and that's not, you don't have to be a scholar just to kind of reflect upon the natural movement of humanity. So, so one social commentator uh, used this illustration. It's, it's the um, uh, community often arises from the need that, it, that is created through some sort of mutual suffering. So what, one observation was if you go into a, a less privileged part of neighborhoods, oftentimes what you'll see is people gathered on the front porch. And the gathering of the front porch is typically not just the people that live in that house. The gathering on the front porch is, is, is an invitation to everyone in the neighborhood. If they're out and about, you're welcome to come to the front porch. One of my favorite part, uh, times of whenever I would go to, uh, with uh, the Olivers to the Philippines for ministry trips was in the evenings, they would just, everyone in the village, you just open your front door and you put on a pot of 
uh, hot water and uh, they, they love, they all drink instant coffee over there, uh, these little like taster's choice packets. And so everybody would come and make their instant coffee and then just sit in the living room. And uh, I enjoyed those way more than the preaching and the seminars that I did. I just sat and drank coffee and somebody translated questions and we just talked about issues of faith and those could go on for quite some time. They're much more instructive really than one took place in the seminar earlier that day or even on the Sunday morning preaching that morning. I mean, it, it was a different, it was a different atmosphere that was created. But so, so you see in less privileged places where people still gather on their front porches. But you know where we gather in the suburbs? Back porch. We gather in the back porch and most of us have erected probably privacy fences in the back porch. Now listen, I'm not saying it's wrong for you to have a resort in your backyard. I really wanna be clear because some of you invite me to your resorts in the backyard and I really like that. Um, Cause the only thing better than a free pool is, I mean, than, than your own pool is a free pool that you don't have to maintain. That's why I love my brother's place so much. I can swim, I can go home and he cleans the pool. And uh, so he's kind of like my pool guy. Um, uh, but, but so I'm not saying that's wrong, don't get me wrong, but I do think it is an interesting social commentary that, that the less we need community, the more we want to hide out in the back porch and in the back resort, and the more we're in a place where we need the community of other people, we're on the front porch. And so, so in general that we've, but metaphorically, I think we've all kind of made that move from the front porch to the back porch. So I want to be clear because, because what I want is, I, I want to be very practical in the way we live out our Christian faith. And I do believe that the first order of business is to create safe, loving, and mutually serving communities in our homes. Now, I am not saying that you have to perfect hospitality with your family before you can reach out to others. Otherwise, none of us would ever reach out. But I am saying if we adopt a lifestyle rhythm in which we're showing more patience and honor to people outside of our home than we are in showing patience and honor to those inside of our home, we will reap the whirlwind because your soul cannot remain healthy with that kind of blatant hypocrisy. And, and I had to come to a point where I recognize that's what it was. If, if I could not be patient with my wife and children, it actually doubled the injury because I could come here and get high fives from everyone else who thought I was so spiritual. And the more my family saw that, the more of a wedge that created because it's one thing if you just can't do it, but it's even more hurtful if you can do it for other people where you're getting the pats on the back, but you can't have the patience to actually express that in your own home. So the first order of business for someone who wants to be faithful to Jesus is to be faithful to their spouse and to be faithful to their children. And, and, and I'm not saying create like weird homes. I mean, we have Netflix and Hulu too, but we also watch The Chosen, so it balances out. But what I'm saying is it's an utmost priority that we seek to create Christian community in our homes, not just lay out rules. We, we, we never want to be in a place where we're distributing rules without relationship because we will always reap rebellion. 
So we, what we want to do is we want to learn how to, to live by values and, and guides and rules for our life, but we want to do it with humility and patience and grace with one another, and it has to be relational. It has to be relational. So that's our first order of business, but as we are prioritizing that, we can't just wait till it's perfected that we start inviting other people into that circle. As we make our community, as our homes mutually serving communities, then we're ready to expand that circle of hospitality to include other people. And as a community of faith, we recognize that doing life with others is one of the primary gifts that the Spirit uses to cause us to mature and experience joy. That's the way He's done it. He hasn't created it where these things happen in isolation. It happens through the joys and the challenges of learning to love other people. Remember, when Jesus was serving on the, at, the, at his last gathering with his um, apostles, and he is serving them by sharing a meal with them and then washing their feet, there was a doubter, there was a denier, and there was a betrayer, and Jesus served all three equally as he served those who were going to remain faithful. And so, so we recognize that that becomes a challenge. And I don't know, if you're in community with me, maybe you experience me as one of the faithful companions, but I know there are pl plenty of other good Christian people that have experienced me as the doubter in their life sometimes the denier, denier in their life, and some few probably have experienced me as the betrayer in their life. So I recognize that just as those, there are people that are going to fulfill those roles in my own life, I know at any given time I might be occupying that role in the lives of others. I sometimes go through seasons where I get compared way more to Judas than to Jesus, for example. And um, so, so because that's the tension of it, because outside of those tensions. What I'm saying is we need community not just for the positives, but we need community for the challenges. Outside of those, my love for Jesus is theoretical. My need to rely on the Holy Spirit to do for me what I cannot do for myself, myself that's not really an issue with people who look like me, sound like me, talk like me, and believe like me. Where I need the power of the Holy Spirit is if I'm willing to put myself in the path of relationships, people who don't look like me, who don't think like me, who don't act like me, and who in fact have present a challenge for me. So we absolutely have to press into both the beauty and the challenge of community in order to mature in our faith because that is what the Holy Spirit has ordained to use as a means of our growth. And I don't know about you, but I used to think I could do without the, the, the messiness of community as long as I really knew my Bible and really got my theology down and had a really powerful prayer life. Now, again, I'm not anti-theology, prayer, and Bible, but, uh, but, the tr the, but the truth of the matter is, in that place, it's really easy for me to live in an echo chamber where I just assume that I'm spiritual and I'm growing and maturing. I really can't know that until I'm challenged with the glories and the messiness of living in community. Because 
the spirit uses all of those things but i was just disappointed how much more mileage he gets out of my challenges in relationships than he does with my one-year bible reading plan and and so we have to recognize it that this is not what i'm trying to say is that living in community is not simply just obeying the commands of the lord that is there you bear witness to me by loving one another but living in community is literally the means through which God is maturing your faith. Living in community and the challenges of the community is the ordained means through which you come to the end of yourself and recognize your need for the supernatural power of the Spirit because sometimes you'll be in relationships that you can't navigate under the strength of your own flesh. It requires the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit as you press into that to get a new perspective on someone or to have, be able to have the patience to listen to someone you disagree with long enough to where you actually understand what they're saying. These things are a longer uh, route to growth and maturity, but they're also a more stable and firm foundational route to the growth of, uh, to our growth and maturity. Knowing how to love others is the only thing that makes my work in God's kingdom worthwhile. Knowing how to love others is the only thing that makes my work in God's kingdom worthwhile. Do you remember the Apostle Paul over in 1 Corinthians 13? He says this, if your faith is so strong that you're willing to be a martyr and die for it, but you don't love, you've accomplished nothing. If you're able to articulate mysteries, your learning is great, your theology is straight on the line, but you don't know how to love, then it profits you nothing. What I am suggesting is living in community is the way in which I learn how to offer that love to others. I also think that it creates a balance of creating a spiritually healthy atmosphere for my own soul. It, think about this, for example, and we're going we're gonna to end this in just a few minutes by looking at some of the one another passages and how this fleshes out. But what's interesting is you read these one another passages that really, really struck me this way, struck me um, uh, this week is that if you look at, so just the Old Testament alone, let me see my numbers here. Yeah, instructions to do something to, for, or with one another occur over 50 times in the New Testament. You know what that means? It means we literally cannot obey Christ without the presence of one another. I actually need you in my life so I can put into practice the thing that Christ calls me to do. And if I am isolated from you, then I, can, I don't even have the, 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 the opportunity to actually begin to obey Christ in these over 50-something commands that we find in the New Testament. Now, before we look at those... Um, I just want to say a couple of things. I am not suggesting that there's never a time to talk about boundaries with toxic people. So if there's 100 people in the room, 99 might leave encouraged by what we're about to look at in the scriptures and say, and that there might be one that's confused because they really did need to create some boundaries from someone in their life because it was harmful to them, and then they're going to feel condemned by what I said, saying, you need to eliminate those, value, those boundaries if you really want to follow Jesus. 
If you are in that situation, please hear me in this moment. That is not what I'm saying. I understand that there are places in which those things have to be put in place. What I am talking about is not proactive boundary creating with toxic people. I am talking about orienting our life nonetheless and giving ourselves to community. And if you've been wounded by a toxic person, you are actually in a position where you are even more tempted to withdraw from community. So it may not be with that person, but you still have to press in. You've got to learn how to trust people. You cannot live your life in self-defensiveness and suspicion forever. It's not healthy for your soul. So you have to, we have to press into that. Nor am I saying that community means we police one another. There is this weird movement in the 80s, and it was called the shepherding movement. Now, you may not have ever heard of that movement, but you might have been in a church that was affected by it because the shepherding movement was a movement of accountability where you were in groups of people where we were like morally policing one another. And many of those groups that got caught up in that in the uh, mid-80s to early 90s, they imploded. Why? Because they became very legalistic. It all became just about behavior and not the heart. It was a very, very unhealthy. And in fact, I love what Derek Vreeland says when he talks about community. He says this, nowhere in referencing the one another in commands, nowhere in this list of commands do we find anything like put one another in their place, fix one another, judge one another, or force one another to do the right thing. The local gathering isn't a place for subjugating or fixing one another. The local gathering is where we worship Jesus together and encourage each other in the ways of Jesus. So if you are planning on being part of a group community group or of those of you who are leading community group, let me tell you something right now. There is no pressure on you to fire the Holy Spirit and take his job. He's just fine at it. He is the one that convinced concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. He is the one that brings people along in their journeys. He's the one responsible for whether someone stands or falls in the presence of their Lord. It's his work, his job, and to be a truly spirit-empowered community means that we ought to not take that job from him. And so even whatever is shared in the context of community, it's never our job to fix someone. We just walk with them in the journey. Now, we may be means that the Lord uses to be part of their healing, but that doesn't mean it's our job to fix them. Sometimes problems just don't get resolved in one conversation, but maybe hundreds of conversations. And we sit with our friends in the presence of the Lord and listen and incarnate the presence of God to one another. That is the miracle and the power and the beauty of community. So, what I want to do this morning is look at seven of those 50 instructions. These are seven because they also create kind of categories that, other, that, that, that the other instructions kind of can fit under. But let's take a moment to look at that. I'm only going to spend about 10 minutes on each one. So don't worry about the time. Uh, everyone knows it's an empty thread because I'm, my stomach's going to start growling here in about 20 minutes. Um, but so let's take a second to look at these. First of all, what are the seven practices? Well, number one, loving, the real obvious one. First John 15, 12 through 14, this is my commandment. 
love each other in the same way I have loved you. Now, now let, let that sink in for a second. The only thing I don't like about these kind of topical messages, although I think they're appropriate from time to time, is it's, we kind of speed past them. But what he says is love each other in the same way I have loved you. That means that Jesus' posture toward us is the way we define love. Haven't you ever been in those situations, or maybe you've been one that's propagated the idea that we redefine love as telling the person what I think is best for them? So really, I'm judging you, I'm being cruel to you, I'm belittling you, but I'm just speaking the truth in love. I, I'm actually tearing you down and doing the opposite thing that love is supposed to do, but I justify it because I'm being bold and speaking the truth into your life. So my only question is, is that how Jesus did you? Or did he enter into the midst of your sin, and, and maybe it was genuinely different for you. I will bear witness to this. Jesus consistently loves me before I even know the sin that I'm being called to repent of. Jesus has consistently entered into my life in the places in which I thought my lifestyle was so unclean that my what I was taught about holiness and cleanliness would mean God couldn't even be in the atmosphere of my soul because of my uncleanness. And yet, nonetheless, in my pursuit of sin, I keep bumping into Jesus. He doesn't go away. And he doesn't redefine, he, he doesn't lecture me. He he's with me, he transforms my life. And yes, that does lead to repentance of sin and coming out of ungodliness. But my experience in walking with Christ, well, I'm not going to say that because I think that it will be misunderstood. But, um, well, I'll rephrase it. My experience is my church groups have been more interested in my sin and less in my heart and Jesus is more interested in my heart than he is on getting, immediately getting rid of all my sin. And in that process of heart transformation, I do break free of sin, but it's because I thoroughly trust this Christ who has incarnated himself in the muck and the mud of my world. And so the way we love others is the way that Jesus loves us. He goes on to say there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I am a Protestant. And just to be safe, I quoted Martin Luther on my Facebook page this week. I believe in justification by faith. And I know that recovering legalists have a reaction to certain terms. I know that the doctrinal police uh, have certain reaction to certain terms, but we cannot escape the fact that there are if-then realities to our faith. I, I'm not saying that I'm not saved, I'm not covered by God's grace and God's mercy, but if I choose, there's an if there. 
And that if means I do what Jesus calls me to do and thus show that I'm his friend. Or I ignore what Jesus commands and wrestle with the implications of what that means. Which to me says, Artie, you're not quite my friend like you think you are because you routinely neglect what I call you to do. And so, so there's, there, there's a reality of a response here, even though we trust in the grace of God to save us. Remember, grace is opposed to the idea of earning. Grace is not opposed to the idea of effort. Those are two very different things. And so, so we're called then to love each other, just as Christ loved us, to be willing to lay down our lives, which really means we're willing to give our lives to one another and thus prove that we're friends of Jesus. Second, after loving, is serving. Galatians 5, 13, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Now, gosh, we don't have too much time. I'm really not trying to spend 10 minutes of pizza on all of these. But I love this idea that we find in Galatians because he, he, he mentions a problem that we all struggle with, which is the problem of indulging the flesh. But what's remarkable to me is I've, man, I've been in this world and this gig a long time. I know more about what it's like to live in the Christian world than I do understand living honestly outside of it. Uh, we, we, started, we started being pretty, pretty, you know, into Jesus since I was about seven years old in my family. And my first job was at a Christian bookstore. And I mean, I've just kind of stayed in that world. And so I know that lots of believers are concerned. Well, what do I do with my struggles of the flesh? I'm indulging the flesh. I have besetting sin. I'm addicted to X, Y, Z. And I've heard lots of things. And these things are good things. And if they work for you, woo, I am right there with you. I'm glad. Some of them worked for me for a time. Read this book. Listen to this teacher. Go to this prayer conference. Go through this prayer line. Uh, one person told me, what I want you to do is read the book of Ephesians, okay? Then repeat until your struggle with sin is gone. <laughs> what? Just read all day and then it'll just kind of disappear? Uh, uh, and maybe that worked for him, I can't say. But, but we have all of these techniques, you know. This latest book was the key to releasing power in your life, and you're going to find new liberation and freedom and all of these sorts of things. What is amazing is that the prescription for dealing with the indulgence of the flesh from the Scripture is go love somebody. Go serve somebody. And I am convinced that if we would preoccupy our spirituality with proactive service rather than trying to make sure we stop doing particular sins, we'd actually find ourselves growing as healthy individuals and getting free from sin without becoming obsessive on the sin. And I'm convinced our approach to sin is actually very unhealthy because it makes us more sin-focused than Jesus-focused. And we can't be free that way. In fact, we're going to remain in bondage to the thing that we are focused on. And what Paul says is, in, by not, the, the way to not indulge the flesh is to serve other people humbly in love. 
that is your new guru. That is your new trick. That is your new secret to power and liberation from the sins that so easily beset you. Stop focusing on them and go serve somebody. Humbly preoccupy yourself with service to others, and then you will not indulge the flesh. It's loving, serving, kindness, Ephesians 4.32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, just as in Christ God forgave you. Kindness. When we talk about our mission and vision in January, we're going to have a whole sermon just on how we are programming and we are seeking the Lord and how we create programs that help people grow in kindness. It's too drastically missing in our spiritualities. Do you realize, because we're all here in the Bible Belt, we're good evangelical Christians. This is a good-looking bunch of people for the most part. And... Um, uh, <laughs> do you realize, let, let me say some phrases. Again, I don't want to cause triggers. Just things that evangelicals typically value in their spirituality. Church attendance, prayer life, giving, sexual purity. Do you realize that kindness is just as an important pursuit as sexual purity? It's, it's right up there. Like, it's the thing that gets pushed in the background. But it is critical to your soul that you learn to be a kind person. It, it really doesn't work to say, you know, my personality is I'm just a jerk. Well, okay, Jesus loves you, jerk. But he really wants you to be less of a jerk. And, and maybe you don't need to worry about your cussing habit or... If you, like me, you suffer from way too much sensuality when you try to dance, I just can't help it, it just oozes out of me. Uh, maybe instead of those things, you just dial back and figure out how to be more kind to your spouse, more kind to your children, more kind to your coworkers. What I'm saying is that God doesn't belittle this value. He sees it as an absolute, absolute essential expression of his heart. So kindness we practice. Secondly, forgiveness. Again, Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Now, I recognize what I'm reading because I understand I am not doing that 100% with the people that I'm trying to forgive in my life. I want to, but it's hard. It's a struggle. And when I, when I see that God calls me to forgive people who have harmed me, that is when my prayer life can't just be rigid and ritualistic. God, if you don't intervene in my heart, I just simply can't do this. I need you to transform me so that I can really learn to forgive others as you've forgiven me. And it's a journey. It's a process. Um, but it's engaging in God in that level that we grow. So if I've ever offended you and you've had to forgive me, you're welcome. I have helped you in your process of growth. This is what we do. When we, we, engage, we engage in forgiving those that's hardest for us to forgive, we begin to tap into the heart of God and experience the life of Christ expressed through us. 
loving, serving, kindness, forgiveness, and bearing one another's burdens. Galatians 6, 2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. This is why we cannot be focused on just fixing one another. Because what, the reason why we're focused on that is it alleviates the need to carry one another's burdens. If you can just be fixed, then I can be there for you, fix you, and then I don't have to be inconvenienced with your struggle. But that's not the picture of Christian community that we emerges from the scripture. You sit and you listen and you bear one another's burdens. I have in the past two, three weeks have had the privilege of being invited to sit around tables of, of spaces where the people were proactively seeking to create a safe space for me and for Jen because they were concerned about the potential emotional state of our souls. I met Jesus at those tables 100% of the time. Those conversations included spiritual things and those conversations included the baser things of life. We were moved to anger, we were moved to a few tears, and we were moved to lots of laughter, and yet in the midst of all of that, I encountered the presence of the living Christ in those tables, around those tables. Because what those people are doing as, as best as they can is they're saying, I want to carry this burden with you. And they know that I'm not fixed over that one encounter. There'll be multiple encounters around those tables where there are people willing to carry my burdens with me. And this is what we're called to do for one another. Again, you don't have to be in a community group for that to happen, but you sure have direct access to an awareness of other burdens that you could be carrying, as well as you in immediately increase your network of people who are willing to carry burdens with you. Loving, serving, kindness, forgiveness, bearing burdens, and showing honor. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Love that statement. And here's my assignment to you. I try not to speak too authoritatively because I know that triggers some of you that were in, you know, abusive uh, church atmospheres. But as I'm standing as the prophet of the Lord, and my word this morning is this. If you are married, you have to start with your spouse. Really engage the presence of the Lord. Allow the Spirit to examine your heart. And ask yourself, am I honoring my partner above myself? And if not, don't repent and make a show of it and make a bunch of empty promises. That's the arty way. And it works against your integrity if you don't follow through. And I tend to be a smile and nod and then go do what I want kind of guy. Really engage. And if there is... You're, you're not fulfilling what God's calling you to do, then simply say, Spirit, empower me and show me how to honor a person that I've frankly spent the last five years hardening my heart against. I gotta learn how to honor them again. Will you show me? Jesus is alive. His Spirit is in you. He will encounter you and empower you to actually follow through on that in ways that are quite miraculous. Loving one another, serving one another, showing kindness to one another, forgiving one another, bearing one another's burdens, showing honor, and finally encouraging. First Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore encourage one another and build each other up, just in fact you are doing. And what I want you to see in that is this is not simply a call, build one another up if you happen to 
if you happen to notice someone who needs to be built up. What I'm saying is that this creates a blueprint for how you're supposed to proactively be living out your faith. So, so, so for me, when I see this and I say, well, I don't know that I am encouraging anybody, then my next thought is, Holy Spirit, show me who I'm called to encourage. Show me today. Maybe God will speak to me in that moment and I'll make a phone call or, or make a lunch date. But maybe I, it's just that I'm posturing myself to say, show me. I get out from my prayer time. I don't know who that is, but within the next three hours, I encounter the person. I'm like, oh, it was Travis. I didn't know I was going to run into Travis. I didn't know Travis was going to have a moment of vulnerability where he didn't lie to me when I asked how he was doing. He actually told me how he was doing. And I have this moment where I can slow down the rhythm of my life and be present to Travis as I then become the incarnation of Christ to him in that moment and he to me. And so Travis got encouraged by Jesus, but the honor was mine because I got to encourage Jesus. You've done it to the less of these brothers, sisters of mine, you've done it unto me. And I have a hunch that that's even more thrilling than the prayer that I gave three hours earlier. So, 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 so that, that's, we're not just called to be mindful of these practices. We're called to build a lifestyle of rhythm that allows for the continual expression of these practices in our lives. That's how we are transformed. So as we close, you'll notice how neatly this was organized, seven practices. And there just happens to be, in the next week in front of you, seven days. So here is your assignment. I want you to take time each morning to pray. Get the Spirit's influence in your life. Be open to, again, if you're charismatic, be open for a word of the Lord. If you are Church of Christ, be open for an inspiration. If you are Baptist, be open to a thought that was laid on your heart. Whatever language you want to use about the reality that we are created to be intuitively, mystically connected to our Creator in such a way that He's actually communicating with us at the level of our soul so that we can follow Him. However you like to phrase that, take time to stop and say, Spirit, I am here. I am willing to listen. Lead me. So take time each morning to pray and ask God to show you how to pursue one practice per day. Now, I'm saying one practice today because I know how you are. There are some of us in here that are doers and like, no problem, I'll go mow somebody's lawn. I got that act of service down. Then there are the feelers that are like, no problem, I'm gonna sit with someone who's weeping. I love doing that. Don't wanna do their dishes, but I love to sit and cry with them. We're all naturally gonna have a proclivity to some of these practices and an aversion to the others. That's why I'm saying discipline yourself. You have to take a different one each day. If you wanna start with the easy ones, go right on ahead. That might create some momentum for you. Um, but take a different one each day and ask God to show you how to pursue it. Now, a little stipulations, unless the spirit leads otherwise, I would not want to speak on behalf of him. If you're married, you have to pursue this different practice for your partner every single day this week. Now, next week, you might want to expand that to people outside of your home. That's fine. But if you are married, 
The first place you've got to go with these practices is learning how to practice them with the one with whom your soul is at one. You, you have to pursue it with them. Because honestly, it's much easier for me to neglect these practices toward my wife than it is to, protect, than, than to pursue these practices outside of my house. So you have to press into that and then share your experience with personal friends. We grow as we bear witness to our adventure. One place you could do that is in a community group. That would, might be a great opening question for your first community group that meets in two weeks. And uh, it's where you'll share this one week experience. What did you learn? What was challenging? What did you learn about yourself? What kind of surprising joys did you discover in the process? How might the group pray for you in your areas of weakness? And how might the group celebrate you with your, in your areas of celebration? Um, if you are interested in that avenue, you can go to ardmorecc.com or you can go right out to the ardmorecc.com kiosk out in the lobby and you will see that there are 11 groups. They have different uh, seasons of life and different emphases, but it is a variety. I'm certain you could find a group that would speak to you and where you are. And if you will sign up for that group, we will make sure that you all are connected and practicing community together in a couple weeks. But outside of that, share it with your friends, go have a cup of coffee, but share your experiences with others. So this week, we are gonna practice Christianity. We're not gonna think about it, we're not gonna debate it, we're not gonna contemplate it, we're gonna practice Christianity by giving ourselves to one of those expressions one day each week. Would you all stand with me? Lord, we confess that because we are made in your image, we most certainly have a wonderful, gracious capacity to love others. But we also recognize that there is a limitation to that when it's just from the strength of our own flesh. We need, in order to love one another, like you have called us to love, we need to experience the same experience as those apostles in the upper room in Acts chapter 2. We need you to flood, fill our lives. We need you to rest upon us like as if it's tongues of fire. We need to be filled with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit so we can push back our apathy, our lethargy, our self-protection, and our self-preoccupation to look up and just love the other person on the other side of the bed or love the person who sleeps in another bedroom under our roof. Be present there, Lord. Make your presence known in our homes. And as we do that, I pray that we would grow to where eventually we would be in the lives of someone that we think right now we could never love because of their behavior or because of their ideology or because of their theology. Press us into that, Lord, that we love our brothers and sisters, we love our neighbors, and we love our enemies. In Jesus' name I pray.